In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the teens and kids up through the 12th grade please come forward. Thank y'all for coming up. Thank you for coming up. So, uh, what are y'all? First, second, third grade? What are y'all? Uh, fourth, actually. Fourth, fourth grade? <laughs> Kindergarten. Good, good, good. Well, I hope you understand what I'm about to say then. I always thought that I was a good Christian. I try to live the Christian life. I try to love others. It's, we can love. You love people, don't you? You forgive people from time to time. You give to people from time to time. I think we're good Christians, but then we come to today's gospel reading, and Jesus himself talks all about the way we should live as Christians. Love, right? Your enemies. I saw a picture on Facebook of Ukrainians kneeling on the snowy ground praying because of the fear of the Russians coming in. I wonder if they're praying for their Russian brothers and sisters. Hard. It's hard to pray for your enemies, to love your enemies. And then he says, do good. We do good. Do good to those who hate you. I don't like to do that. I don't like to do good to to those who hate me. I like to just kind of walk away from them. Then he says, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, hit them back. No, he didn't say that, did he? <laughs> he said, turn the other cheek. If anyone takes anything from you or takes your coat, give him your shirt as well. I'm gonna, I'll, our nature is to get it back, right? That's mine. Right? Is that your leg beeping? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My leg doesn't beep like that. <laughs> you know, our nature is to seek revenge. Our nature is to not like those who don't like us. But God, Jesus tells us different. He tells us to love your enemy, to give to those who hate you, to to not to judge those who judge you. And that's a hard thing to do. And I promise you, not one of us in this congregation today can do that by themselves. But with God's grace and the Holy Spirit, that can happen. But we've got to practice. We've got to practice loving our enemies. We've got to practice giving to those who take from us. We've got to practice loving those who hate us. And it takes a lot of practice. And I promise you, you won't get it right until the very day you die. And then who knows what happens on the other side. Um, but the Holy Spirit helps us to practice what Jesus is telling us to practice. And it doesn't mean be wimps. It doesn't mean, well, I guess it doesn't mean to stand up and let, let somebody hit all over you and, and take all your stuff. It doesn't mean that, I don't think it means that. But I think he's talking about the heart. 
Don't let your heart grow cold. Uh, love my people. Love the children of God. Love those who need to be the children of God. Because it's only through love that they're going to be converted to God's grace. Hard, hard lesson. And it makes me wonder whether I am really practicing what Jesus says. But I'm going to try. And I hope we all try. Yeah. Thanks for coming up. Thank you. While you're up, help me up. Wait, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> There's a story I like to tell. It's about a pastor who had a kitty cat. The kitty cat climbed the tree in the backyard, was afraid to come down. The pastor coaxed the kitten, offered warm milk. Here, kitty, kitty. All sorts of things. Kitty wouldn't come down. Well, the tree was not sturdy enough to climb, and so the pastor, he decided that if he tied a rope to the car and tied the other one to the tree, he could bend the tree enough by moving the car forward and then reach up and get the kitten. He did all of this, checking the progress step by step, making sure he didn't go too far or not far enough. And then he figured on the last check that he would go just a little bit further and then the tree would be sufficiently bent for him to reach and get the cat. But as he moved just a little bit further, the rope broke and the tree went boing. And the kitten instantly sailed through the air out of sight. Pastor felt terrible. He walked all over the neighborhood asking people if they'd seen his little kitty cat. Nope, nobody'd seen his cat. So he prayed, well, Lord, I just commit this kitten to your keeping. And he went on about his business. A few days later, he was at the grocery store, met one of his church members. He happened to look into her shopping cart, was amazed to see cat food because this woman was a notorious cat hater and everyone knew it. So he asked her, why are you buying cat food when you hate cats so much? She replied, you won't believe this. She told him how her little girl had been begging for a cat but she kept refusing. And then a few days before this meeting with the pastor in the grocery store, the child had begged again. So the mom finally told the little girl, well, if God gives you a cat, I guess you can keep it. And she told the pastor, I watched my child go out into the backyard, get on her knees and pray to God. And really, pastor, you won't believe this, but I saw it with my own eyes. This kitten suddenly came flying out of the blue sky with his paws outspread and landed right in front of my child. Never underestimate the power of God. It's the same sort of thing we see in our Old Testament lesson today with Joseph. 
The dynamics of this story begins back with Jacob, the father of Joseph, and his great passion for Rachel, along with the trick that Laban, Rachel's father, played on Jacob so as to get Leah, Laban's first daughter, married first. And I want you to pay attention because this has got to be, true though it is, it's got to be the greatest soap opera ever written. And I don't want you to ever underestimate the power of God. Jacob loved Rachel, but first he got stuck with Leah. Now, Leah was the fertile one. Jacob had Jacob, uh, gave Jacob four sons, while Rachel had no children at all. So Rachel gives Jacob her servant woman as a surrogate mother, and Bilhah has two sons. Leah has a counterattack and turns her servant woman over to Jacob, and Jacob has two more sons. And for a while, there's a lull in activities, and Jacob abstains from Leah, and Rachel continues barren. But one day, one of Leah's sons finds a whole bunch of mandrakes, which even in Jacob's time was still considered a fertility drug. Rachel begs Leah for some of the mandrake, so Leah makes a deal. She demands access to Jacob in exchange for the mandrake. It happens, and Leah has two more sons and a daughter. Now, after ten sons by other women, God remembers and has pity on Rachel and she bears two sons. The first one is Joseph. Never underestimate the power of God, no matter how long it takes. So Joseph begins life as the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife. All of that makes Joseph a spoiled brat. He's conceited, he's arrogant, he's special, he knows it, and he shows it. He flaunts his dreams about the whole family bowing down to worship him. Everyone gets angry about that. And yet Jacob, the dad, continues to spoil him rotten. The coat of many colors that we all know about, in essence, is just a leisure jacket. It's not meant for work. Joseph's job is to be an informer on his brothers, a tattletale. One day, Joseph is sent to check on his brothers. They see him coming. They get so angry, they decide to kill him. But before he reaches them, cooler heads have begun to prevail, so they decide to put him in a deep well instead and leave him there. When a caravan of merchants is seen on the horizon, they change plans again, and they sell Joseph into slavery. Now remember, never underestimate the power of God. Joseph is taken to Egypt, and there he is sold into the service of the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh's wife sees this cute young man. She thinks that maybe a romp in bed with him would be fun, and she tries to seduce him. When Joseph refuses, she turns around and accuses him of rape, and Joseph is thrown in prison. While in prison, his ability for dream analysis comes to the rescue. Joseph interprets the dreams of the butler and the baker. They get out of jail, the butler and the baker, finally. 
Then Pharaoh begins to have some strange dreams about fat cows being eaten up by skinny cows. And the baker suddenly remembers this man in prison who interpreted his own dream correctly. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph into his throne room and Joseph explains the dreams as the seven years of plenty being followed by seven years of famine. Preparations needed to be made immediately so that the plenty might be stored to feed the people during the famine. The Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph's gifts that he puts Joseph in charge of all the preparations. Again, never underestimate the power of God. The famine comes. All of the children of Jacob, Joseph's brothers, along with the whole land, they get hungry. They go to Egypt to buy food because they have plenty. There, Joseph sees his brothers, and after a few visits of testing, we come to the part of the story today in today's Old Testament reading where Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. But he says, don't be afraid. I'm not going to punish you for selling me into slavery. You meant it for harm, but it was all a part of God's good plan. It's okay. All is forgiven. Never underestimate the power of God. Joseph did. Now, I don't necessarily buy into the theology that says everything that happens is God's primary will. But I do believe that no matter what happens, God is with us and can guide us to make triumph come out of tragedy and grace come out of despair. God is a God of life, not a God of destruction and death. And Joseph came to know this. And in the midst of this famine, he was able to bring life to his family. He was able to forgive. He was able to praise God. While the testing of his brothers was necessary to bring his brothers to the point where Joseph could see the changes, that in itself could not heal the family. For healing to occur, Joseph had to step out of his role as an Egyptian leader and become their little brother again, albeit a very changed little brother. When all of the masks are off, they are just the sons of Jacob all over again. Some of you know about Corey Ten Boom, who was a watchmaker living in Holland during World War II. Her entire family was sent to the concentration camps for for hiding Jews from the Nazis. And Corey was the only one in the family to survive her incarceration. Several years later, she was speaking about her ordeal and how the presence of God had been so very important to her during that whole time. And a man approaches her and after her speech and she recognizes him as one of the guards who had been especially cruel and who had mocked the naked prisoners in the showers at the camp and he put out his hand and he asked her for her forgiveness and she said that was one of the hardest 
things she had ever done. But she took his hand and this sense of enormous peace came over her. I believe it was Corey who said, when you forgive, you set the prisoner free and you discover that that prisoner was you. Joseph, son of Jacob, was captured by his brothers, was sold into slavery. He was imprisoned and finally released from prison by Pharaoh. But it was only in the forgiving of his brothers that he found true freedom. The story of Joseph shows forth the power of God to turn tragedy into triumph. The story of Joseph shows how sinful, imperfect people like Joseph and his brothers can have a part in God's greater plan. The story of Joseph shows the importance of forgiveness, of looking for the hand of God in everything, and of stepping forward in faith and not looking back in sorrow and anger. Thanks be to God for this insight in our own lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.